All right, welcome everybody. So glad that you are here spending part of your Sunday with us at Movement Church. So glad to have you with us. Welcome to Reboot, part two of this series that, that we are in. We're also on day eight of 21 days of prayer, which you just heard about. There's tons of opportunities for you to gather and join with us to pray. If you haven't already, jump in, start praying with us in this season. I promise it'll it'll help rejuvenate your faith, and we're excited to have you along for the ride. With that, okay, now let's just jump in. Part two of our reboot series, get out something to write with, something to write on. We started last week, part one. We took a look at a passage of, of Scripture, Ezekiel chapter 37, and, and in it, uh, God gives Ezekiel this, this vision of a valley with dry bones, and, and, we, and we learn and we see that Things that are dead in our life, really, they have the ability to, to be brought back to life. And what we need is the Spirit of God in order to bring those dead things back to life. So listen, if there's an area of your life that you think is dead, if there's a circumstance, a situation, and you need God's Spirit to speak into it, listen, I want to encourage you to end this season to just pray some audacious prayers and speak life and God's spirit over those things. In fact, uh, th this whole week, my, my prayer and my hope this week has been for this, and, and this is really what we're going to talk about today. My hope and prayer for you, for us in this season, is some spiritual revival, like personal revival for, for each of us, corporate revival for our church and for every local church in our area, uh, revival in our homes, our streets, our neighborhoods, and in our city. And I, I pray that as, we, that as you join with us in 21 days of prayer that, that something's going to come to life, that there's going to be some, some sort of revival in you. And, and, and what I, here's what I kind of want to talk about today. It's this, is that spiritual revival is dependent on a single daily discipline. I'll say that again, that, that spiritual revival is dependent on a single daily discipline. And no, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to tell you yet what it is. I, what I want to do is I want to show you what it is and show you that, that when you add this discipline into your life, it begins to open wide the doors for revival, and listen to me, spiritual revival will always lead to revival in other areas of your life because the reality is this, is every single part of your life is spiritual. Whether you know it or not or whether, you know, it shows up as, as something tangible in your marriage or relationship, but honestly, it's all spiritual. And so come on, I don't know if there's anybody else except for me today, but I, maybe your feelings, you could use a little bit of revival in your life. You know, a little bit of revival in the church, a little bit of revival in our city. Come on, I'll, I want to show you this discipline that, that leads to revival. And I want to show you to you th through a story in the life of King David in the Old Testament. And so we'll kind of set the stage, 2 Samuel uh, chapter 11. Uh, we're not going to read uh, a, a whole bunch of it, but basically King David, uh, he, he's sitting on the throne. He's king. He's won some battles, won some war, uh, and, and now he's, he's kind of taken his seat back in his kingdom. And we pick up in 2 Samuel chapter 11. Verse 1 says this. It says, in the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but... David remained in Jerusalem. And so it says, at a time when kings go out to war, where David should be out marching with his men and fighting, 
And he sends off the king's men. Those are really the only people in his life who would have had access to him. David's isolated himself. He's, he's away from anyone who would have had access to his heart and to his life. And honestly, many of us are, are familiar with the story that follows here in 2 Samuel chapter 11. So we're not going to read the whole thing. I'll just help summarize it a little bit. So we find out that David is now lounging around in the afternoon. And, and he notices that there's a woman bathing on a rooftop next door to where he is. And so he sends a servant to go get this woman because he thinks that she's beautiful. And so if that happens. The servant brings her back to David, and David makes the decision to sleep with her while her husband is actually out fighting with the army that David sent out. And in the course of all this, this woman, she gets pregnant. And so now David is stuck, and he's got to try and cover up what it is that he's done. And so he devises this plan. He, he sends a, a notice out to the, to the army and says, hey, send, send Uriah, send her husband home. In the hopes that when Uriah gets home, he'll come back home, he'll, he'll stay at his house, he will sleep with his wife, and then, and then the pregnancy can be, can be covered up and Uriah can look like he's the father. But in this story, Uriah ends up showing a whole lot more integrity than David actually does. And when he gets home and King David's like, oh, so good to see you. Why don't you go to your house? Why don't you spend the night there? Uriah says, no, 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 I couldn't possibly do that. I, I couldn't possibly go home and enjoy a night in my house with my wife while, while my fellow soldiers are out sleeping in the field. And so he doesn't. He, he stays and sleeps outside the palace. He never goes home. So plan A of covering up his sin doesn't work out. And so now it's on to plan B. David now sends Uriah back to battle with a note, a sealed note. It says, hey, when you get there, give this to your commander. And so Uriah gets back to the battlefield, and, and, he, and he hands this note to the commander. And what the, com, what, what the note says to the commander says, hey, put Uriah on the front line where the fiercest fighting is happening. Why? With, with the hopes that Uriah would then die. As we read the story, that's exactly what happens. Uriah ends up dying in battle. And so now David thinks he's got all of his bases covered. I, I, I covered it up. Now I can take Bathsheba, I can make her my, my wife, and all these things have now worked out and I can just move on. Here's the reality, though. You can never be spiritually isolated and healthy at the same time. Nothing healthy grows in isolation. And, and, I, and I think many of us in this season, what it's, what it's done to us is, is, is we become unhealthy in some areas of our life, it could be spiritually, it could be emotionally, relationally, because we've isolated ourselves. And now, some of that has been due to this, this pandemic we've found ourselves in, but, and, and I know that we as a church, we haven't been gathering in person, but that doesn't mean that you have to be isolated. And you might be thinking, okay, th this seems extreme, thanks, uh, this, this is a little bit over the top, like I haven't slept with my neighbor's spouse uh, yet, I, I haven't started that affair, and I'm not trying to cover something like that up, and, and I certainly haven't had anybody killed, and hopefully that's, that's probably true. But when, when you are isolated, sin will do the same thing in your life as it did to David's 
in this story, it will grow, it spreads, and then we begin to justify it in our lives, and then eventually we'll start to cover it up with more. Because, listen, it, it might not be an actual affair with your neighbor, but maybe there's a couple of text messages to the coworker who's not your spouse. Or, or maybe it's something you're searching for on your phone or on your, or on your device late at night when no one's around you. Or, or, or it could be that one drink. Or it, it could be what you said about that coworker. Uh, the grudge or the bitterness that you're holding on to. It could be the, the unforgiveness that you're holding on to in your heart. And it may start seemingly small and in, in, insignificant, but if it's left unchecked, in isolation, it will grow. Which is why, listen to me, we have to fight for connection. We, we have to fight to stay connected to other people. It's, it's entirely in our own hands how connected we stay to people, how connected we stay to Jesus and to his people and to his church. And I want to suggest that right now, in this very moment, that we have a need to be connected to each other more than ever before. Listen, make the decision right now. Just make the decision that two weeks from today, Sunday, August 23rd, when we reopen this building, that you're going to make the decision to be here in person. And if you can't, if you're not ready, make sure that you're, you're at least joining us online and staying connected. Whatever you do, don't isolate yourself. Because the truth is, is that we have to, we have to fight for connection. We have to fight to stay connected because it's easier to live in isolation. And it's easier because when I isolate myself, when I make the decision to stay isolated, if I want to do that, all of a sudden, my voice is the only one I'm listening to. And listen to me, when, when you are isolated, when, when you're isolated and, and you're unhealthy, your voice is not really the one that you want to be listening to. Like, you need some other voices in your life. We need to be connected. And, but we avoid connection. We, we avoid connection because, listen, connection leads to confrontation. Like, David is, is happily living his life. He thinks he's got everything all squared away. He's escaped the consequences of his choices until God sends the prophet Nathan to him. And so Nathan shows up in the very next chapter, 2 Samuel chapter, chapter 12, and he tells David a story. And David doesn't know what's going on yet, but, but Nathan's telling David a story to help him understand what it is that he's done. And so Nathan says, King David, there, there are two men and, and one of these men is very wealthy, has a ton of resources, ton of cattle, has everything you can ever want, uh, lavish, tons of land. And then right next to him, next door is a poor man who has nothing, no resources, hardly anything. In fact, he's only got one little lamb that he's raised. Literally, the scripture says that he raised it alongside with his kids, and it was as though this lamb was like a member of his own family. And so then Prophet Nathan says, hey, a traveler came to stay with the rich man. 
And when he showed up, the rich man was unwilling to use any of his own resources to care for this visitor. And so he went and he stole the one single little lamb that his poor neighbor had and killed it in order to care for and feed this traveler. So here's this story we pick up, 2 Samuel chapter 12. It says that David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. And this is that Nathan said to David, you are that man. And it's in this moment that, that King David is, is, is confronted with his sin. He is, he is confronted with what he's done, confronted with the decisions that he's made. And the, the truth that you and I must come face to face with is this. None of us are beyond the need of spiritual confrontation. Because da- David, Scripture says that David was a man after God's own heart. Like he, he's the anointed one. He's, he's the king. He was chosen because it was his heart and it was his spirit that made him stand out amongst his peers. And yet here he stands confronted with the truth of God's word, confronted essentially by his own pastor, confronted with his sin. And, it's, and, and that is the reality that, that in our spiritual journey, There will always be a need for confrontation. Listen, the the gospel of Jesus in and of itself is confrontational. Like, listen to me. The gospel says, yes, uh, like, um, you are loved. uh, you, you, You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are my son. You are my daughter. You are worthy of my love. You are worthy of a savior. Yes, your heavenly father loves you unconditionally, but you're also broken. That despite how fearfully and wonderfully made you are, that despite how much your heavenly Father loves you and is for you, sin has separated us from Him. It's separated us from the, from the perfect relationship that we were designed to have. And listen to me, that, that sin has caused me to be the man in the story that Nathan tells David. That the, that the wages, the cost of my sin is supposed to be death. But the grace and the gift and the love of God is forgiveness through Jesus and trusting him for my eternity. I, I love the way that Oscar Romero says it. He says that a gospel that does not unsettle A word of God that does not get under anyone's skin. A word of God that doesn't touch the real sin of the society in which it's being proclaimed. What gospel is that? And 
We live in a culture that that doesn't like confrontation, that tells me that I cannot do it on my own. We live in a culture that doesn't like confrontation, that tells me that there's a change that I need to make in my life. But listen to me, Jesus confronted people all the time, and yet we see over and over and over again in the Gospels that sinners loved being around Jesus. In fact, in John chapter 8, a woman is caught in adultery and the, the religious leaders are, are, are wanting to condemn her and to kill her. And Jesus shows up and he runs off all the religious leaders. Uh, they leave and then this is what happens. John chapter 8, starting verse 10. It says, Jesus straightened up and asked her, says, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Like, like where are all the people who were condemning you? And she says, no one, sir. And he says, neither then do I condemn you, Jesus declared. And this right here, in this moment, this is where so many of us want Jesus' statement to end. This is where culture would love for Jesus' statement to end. I do not condemn you. And yes, the promise of God in Christ Jesus is that there is no condemnation. That's the promise of Romans chapter 8, verse 1, that there is no condemnation in Jesus Christ. Jesus said it himself in John chapter 3. I did not come into the world to condemn it, but to save it. But listen to me. I'm sorry. The gospel does not end there. The gospel of Jesus does not simply end with no condemnation. Jesus says, I do not condemn you, but he finishes his sentence. He says, go now and leave your life of sin. Like, yes, you are forgiven. Jesus stands with arms wide open, ready to forgive and to send his grace for whatever you are facing, whatever you are doing, or whatever situation you find yourself. But the gospel is confrontational. It says, yes, you are forgiven, but also get up and leave that way of life. Get up. You are forgiven, but don't continue to live that way any longer. So David is confronted by Nathan. And let me tell you, this is, this is vitally important because it's going to lead us to the daily discipline needed for us to see revival. Because if you're never confronted with the gospel, if you're never confronted with what sin has done, if you never hear Jesus say, I do not condemn you, but go now and leave your life of sin. You'll never step into what's needed for revival. Because connection will lead to confrontation, and confrontation leads to confession. And listen to me, if, if you want some revival in your life, if you want revival in your spirit, which is where revival for every other area of your life starts. It starts with confession. Confession is where your healing is going to begin. Listen to me. Confession is where revival will always start. Confession is where revival will always start. And so after everything happens with David, 
he gets connected, he gets confronted, and then we actually get to see his confession. Psalm chapter 51. And it's in his confession that his healing and his revival starts. And I pray, in fact, right now, wherever you are, stand up. Wherever you are right now, just stand to your feet. I pray that as we, as we read some of David's confession, some of us are going to start feeling a little bit confronted and moved by the Holy Spirit to confess today. Psalm chapter 51. We're going to start in verse 1 and jump around a little bit. But this is David's confession. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know that my transgressions and my sin is always before me. And against you and you alone have I sinned and done what's evil in, in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, oh God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. For you do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O oh God, is a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. David is starting his healing with confession and saying, Lord, I know that my sin, my iniquity, my brokenness is always before me. But Lord, would you heal me? I confess that I need you. I confess that my sin has messed up my life. But God, you in your great and your steadfast love, would you wash me? Would you cleanse me? Would you forgive me? Would you start the revival process in my life? I want to show it to, I want to show it to you in one more place. Then we're going to be done. 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. It says that if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the, the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, He, being Jesus, is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. See, two things happen in this passage when we confess. Well, first, we see that Jesus is faithful and just to do what? 
It says that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to do what? To forgive us, but also to purify. Like, to, we are forgiven, and then I'm revived. I, I, I'm forgiven, and then I'm made whole. I'm forgiven, and then I'm made new. You see, Jesus doesn't just forgive and then leave us where we are, broken and battered and bruised. He also restores. He makes new. He revives us. Revival always starts with confession. I mean, look what David prayed. As you confess, here's what begins to happen. It's going to create a pure heart. creates a renewed spirit in me. It brings the presence of the Holy Spirit, restores my joy, restores me to a, a willing spirit. Here's what I want to do right now. Every head bowed, every heart open in this moment. I pray that in this moment, you feel a little bit confronted. You feel confronted with the truth of God's Word and that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you in this moment. But listen, do not stay just in confrontation. Move toward confession because it is confession that's going to bring about revival. Maybe you've got an unconfessed sin in your life that you need to confess. Maybe there's an area of your life that you need revived. Maybe for the first time in your life, you need to give your heart to Jesus. I want to pray for us right now. And I pray that you'll receive this, that you'll respond to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, right now, I pray for every person in this moment who's being confronted with the truth of your word. Lord, that that confrontation will move us towards confession that Lord you'll wash us you'll cleanse us you'll make us whole you'll renew a right spirit within me you'll give us a pure heart you'll give us the presence of your Holy Spirit you'll restore the joy of our salvation come on church I feel revival beginning to stir up inside of you inside of the church come on begin to confess Confess that you need them. Confess you're ready for new life. Confess you want a pure heart, a new spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Revival always starts with confession. Now listen, if you want to take a step forward in your faith today, we want to partner with you. You're saying, hey, I, I need someone to pray for me. I, I, I want to make a confession. I, I want to put my faith in Jesus. If that's you today, listen. We always say one of the best things you could do would be, ins be inspired to make change and then take a step forward in it. So right now, today, if that's you, just drop a comment below. Our team would love to connect with you, pray with you, pray for you partner with you in this faith journey that you are in we're going to start seeing revival 
in our lives, in our families, in our church, in our city. All right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to close the same way we do every week with an opportunity to give our tithes and our offering. Now, if you're new with us, we don't want anything from you. In fact, we just hope that this online experience was our gift to you. But if you call Movement Church your home, all we ever ask is that you ask Jesus what you should give and then just be obedient. Because we know that on the other side of obedience, there's blessing for you and for your family. Don't forget, Serve Day is coming up next weekend. We get a chance to bless. We get a chance to love. We get a chance to pour out some generosity on our, on our city. So come on, church. Continue to be faithful, consistent, and generous in your giving so that the church can continue to be faithful, consistent, and generous in our city. There's two really easy ways that you can give. You can give online and through our app. You can also give right from your smartphone. You can text the amount you want to give to 84321, then just follow the prompts from there. Come on, church, let's keep being generous. Let's keep blessing people. Mark your calendars. Sunday, August 23rd, in person, back in the building, worshiping live together. Can't wait to see you in person in two weeks. Now here's what I want to do. I want to pray for us. Give us a blessing as we close this. So wherever you are, put your hands up. Receive this in Jesus' name. Jesus, I just pray that your very presence would go before your people, would surround them and protect them. Holy Spirit, that you would fill and empower and embolden your church and that Heavenly Father, you would cause your good face to shine upon us until we gather together again in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week. Stay connected to us online. 21 days of prayer. Keep praying with us. We love you. We miss you. We'll see you soon, church. Bye.